Well, thank you so much, Morgan, for joining me today. Super excited uh, to chat about the journey of GeoShip, sort of its its mission and vision. I've followed you guys for since inception, really, and and just love to see the the maturation and the and the innovation that that went into this idea. And going to change a lot of lives, I think. So before we get into to GeoShip, talk a little bit about your journey and what was sort of the catalyst, you know, for taking this on. You know. <laughs> I my first real job out of university was with Intel Corporation when I was like 20 and after about Four years of that, I uh, saved up, you know, hundred grand, and I was yeah. like, okay, I'm done. And I just, <laughs> I started traveling. I spent about two years kind of traveling around Asia and India, and then I came back and um, restored a classic wooden sailboat uh, in a barn for a year, and then launched that boat and lived aboard for about six years, just continuing. Wow trying to optimize my time for like basically meditation and learning and trying to really understand what is my highest, you know, service to humanity. Cause I really refused to basically take another job that was really just paying money, you know, take another job for money basically. So I think that, uh, that led me to, to first, I was looking at different organizations that I thought were really, uh, instrumental. Like I, I knocked on the front door of uh, Ellingham Hall where Julian Assange was on house arrest in 2011. Wow. And I was like, I want to help with the freedom of information movement. And uh, that basically got me to uh, Iceland where I started working with the Icelandic Modern Media Initiative, now known as the Pirate Party. And also during that time, you know, I, I restored the wooden sailboat as really an alternative to building a small cabin in nature where I could, you know, teach myself to be an artist. That was really the goal, but I couldn't afford land. And uh, so I ended up restoring a boat and that is basically was really a, a home and way to travel. And then after my experience in Iceland, I came home and started building a, a house with my brother. And he's really um, uh, has a background in kind of CNC mold making. He really pioneered that that industry for like boats. Wow. Um, and we started thinking about, you know, what is really the um, most efficient way to to build a house? You know, what will be what will homes be? You know, as far into the future as we can imagine. And so when you try to understand, when you try to when you kind of look through that lens, you get to sort of physics first principles. You know, what is yeah. the geometry, the material science, and the manufacturing method that is most optimal? And that's where ceramic domes, injection molded in factories, can be very autonomous and ultimately the most affordable, sustainable homes on the planet, just based on the physics. Like if it's not a geodesic dome, there it's some other structure that is takes more materials and more energy to produce because the, hmm. the dome just uh, is the lightest, strongest, most efficient means of enclosing space known to man. Uh, so the geodesic dome combined with these, this is really a new material science. It was developed at U.S. national labs called chemically bonded ceramics. And it's a, it was, uh, it's a bioceramic. It's actually used in the human body for bone repair. So this oh. entire dome, including the frame, the exterior and the interior are all bioceramic carbon fiber and hemp fiber composites. So the chemical composition is like, you know, phosphate, magnesium, potassium, calcium, <laughs> same stuff our bones are made out of. So if it's not, and, and this is, that's, it's a 
technically a geopolymer, and there are quite a few other geopolymers that are uh, just as exciting almost that could be mm -hmm. substituted into the process. You know, at a materials level, if it's not geopolymers, it's like wood, metal, concrete, petrochemicals. Those are pretty much like the main material families. Sure. So geopolymers, and if it's not injection, if it's not molded, it's you're cutting things from stock materials or you're 3D printing on site. And the injection molding can be extremely autonomous and, and fast. So that was... That was really the impetus is like, okay, the most efficient structure on earth. And now how do we bring that into a, a village building model and a cooperative model that could just, you know, really transform, like catalyze the regenerative future. And that's really what we see GeoShip as is like a tool tools for people to build affordable, sustainable homes in regenerative communities in order to really build the future that we believe is possible. I want to talk a little bit about uh, that segueing from the idea, right? And, and kind of maybe having that conversation with your brother and that probably sparked the real interest in like, okay, let's actually like build something. Was it like, hey, I want to build something for myself like you do with the with the boat? Or was the idea all along is like, hey, let's build, let's build a company where we, we plan on building thousands of these, hundreds of thousands of these? Or, you know, at the beginning, was it just, hey, I want to build one for myself? Uh, well, we started on um, Whidbey Island, which is, if you're familiar, it's just a little island outside of Seattle. And the initial vision was really about sort of a, an artisan community that can build homes and little structures. And But it was, we're kind of focused on like just small scale. And then we realized as we got deeper into the material science and the uh, technology that it's like, wow, this is like a global solution. These ceramic yeah domes are going to be everywhere in the future. And so how do we really bring this into the world in the best way possible? It's a long process. You know, we uh, started GeoShip, started working full time on GeoShip in like 2015, right? So we sort of, uh, quote, burned the boats. Like I literally sold my home and took all the money I had and started bootstrapping. And uh, our first angel investor um, actually uh, let us kind of squat at a uh, farmhouse with a big barn where we developed the material science. And, wow. and also at that point, you know, because I had just spent uh, eight years kind of traveling and living on a boat, I didn't have even a LinkedIn account, right? So I was like right. completely sort of off grid wow. and uh, having to just, it was a long learning process basically and development process. And the technology is so ahead of the time. You know, there's like sometimes with these earth shots or like moonshot yep. projects like this, you have to actually slow down to be on time. And that's now we're now we're super on time and we're just accelerating. <laughs> it's kind of hard to like tell people in, in like an, an audio sense. But like when somebody asks you what a geoship is, I mean, it's easy to just show them a picture of it. And, you know, we'll link everything below and we'll add pictures to to the article and everything. But was it, is it even like cooler than you imagined it would be early on? Was it like sketches? And then once you have the sketches, you can, you can then with the composite material, you can essentially build anything that's drawn out, whether it's 3d or just like on a paper, but kind of describe like why the geo shape, I guess it's, you kind of explained a little bit before, but some of the benefits behind building this way, whether it's the sort of globe shape formation, but also the materials. It, it's way more, it gets more and more exciting, like every week that I go into this. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, from a manufacturing perspective, why the geodesic dome is like, uh, so no, the frame, the exterior, the interior, all these ceramic compo uh, components that are, what's nice is that each each component doesn't weigh more than maybe 30 pounds. 
so you don't need like mm. heavy equipment on site to assemble the not thing. Like concrete, concrete pallets, not something heavy like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you, there's no cutting. There's no measuring. Like the on-site build process can really be sort of a, a placemaking uh, festival. You know, imagine like, like Legos. Is it like big? I mean, they connect. Yeah, it is a lot like Legos. You know, it's like they only go together one way and they it sort of snaps and locks. And there's some on-site, um, you sort of apply some material on-site to sort of cement everything together and and the dome can be repaired and resurfaced with the same material that it's made out of one of the exciting aspects here too is that we reduce the carbon footprint of housing by like 93 percent. so the embodied energy as well as this dome has like 10 inch thick insulation cavities so very high r value and the ceramic reflects over 80 percent of radiant heat so really efficient from like a um, carbon footprint perspective. And then also we're designing for a 500 year life, right? So wow. uh, there's nothing to rot. There's nothing to mold. There's nothing to burn. There's nothing for insects to eat it. And it can be resurfaced with the same material it's made out of. And ultimately the, the raw minerals can come from a lot of different uh, waste stream processes. For instance, like seawater desalination, the big mm. Byproducts of that are two of the key rod ingredients we need. Wastewater treatment plants, a byproduct of wastewater treatment is uh, another raw ingredient that we need. And especially as like EV battery mining operations ramp up, mm -hmm. uh, like for instance, every uh, ton of lithium ion they mine, they get 10 tons of a magnesium oxide with a boron element that is waste for pretty much all applications, but perfect for these ceramics. And the ceramics wow. were really okay. developed uh, by the nuclear industry as a way to solidify and store highly radioactive waste for long-term storage. So there's a, they have a, the material is a, um, kind of sits in the middle of a cement, a ceramic and an epoxy and that it's a ceramic and that it's highly crystalline with covalent and ionic bonding, but it doesn't require high heat. It's all a reaction that happens sure. at room temperature, like a cement. And it has this, it's an inorganic polymer. It bonds, forms molecular bonds to wood and to metal and to, of course, itself oh. and most natural materials. So it kind of opens up a completely different way of, uh, of building. Wow. Wow. What about like, like weather resistant at a certain, you know, some areas have extreme heat, you know, or, you know, hurricanes or massive snowfall or whatever it may be, right? Like every area, especially in the United States, have sort of this natural disaster aspect to it or, or looming over it in some sort of way. Not from maybe a natural disaster, because that's, you know, obviously the, the worst case scenario, but just sort of generic, you know, weather and bad weather, like, has it been tested? Like, how, how does it hold up? We haven't gone through like the really advanced testing for it yet, but just at a really basic level, you're using a, a material that is can be almost the flexural strength of steel when you mm -hmm. extrude these carbon fibers through this ceramic material. And the geodesic dome is obviously aerodynamic. You know, it's the most hurricane resistant structure you can really build is a round structure like this. Right, right. And it's also uh, very resilient to earthquakes because what fails in an earthquake is a moment connection where columns and beams meet and with the geodesic dome it's a like a bowl you know there's no cross beams and attics required it just is a integral structure so earthquake resistant and it's also used as a refractory material at very high heat resistance so and there's nothing to burn it's basically fire resistant and and there's nothing for mold to grow on so it could actually be submerged you know in water for a decade and basically dry out 
and get stronger. It looks, almost looks like a cyber truck if it was like a home. That's like that's what it reminds me of. Like that, like <laughs> yeah. those aerodynamic edges, and it looks, you know, it just like it looks incredibly strong, <laughs> you know, just from like the the design of it and like the look and feel of it. Yeah, I, I guess. Look, housing. There's so many different aspects of it. You know, it's, it's particularly in the U.S. Like just affordable housing in general. It's such a massive issue. It seems like it's probably never going to go away at this point. There's always going to be this need and want for like affordable housing. And you kind of mentioned, you know, an island in Seattle and and sort of these. You know, your life has really kind of a lot been like off the grid, sort of living that lifestyle. And this is obviously like you know perfect for little villages and kind of having this little community and stuff, but also there's such a great opportunity for just affordable housing, whether it's inside cities, right outside cities. Just talk about like the different ways that GeoShip can live in economic scales across like society, but then also geographically, you know, within metropolitan areas versus rural areas. It's very versatile because it can live in both arenas, it, it feels like. Yeah. You know, one of our sort of general and surprising insights that the company is is based on is one, you know, in the future, not everybody will live in boxes, uh, obviously. And two, uh, in the future, communities will populate the land from the cloud. So what what is, mm-hmm. that means essentially today, the way housing developments are built and something like 80 something percent of new homes are in housing developments, right? And the way that works is like developers and banks get together and buy land and build homes and then sell them to people. And in the future, and that's still like a pre-internet business model. Yeah. In the future, the communities will come together basically in a digital space and participate in the design of their, instead of a housing development, it's a village Mm -hmm. because the people who are living there participate in the design and they may even have like um, local currencies and sort of a DAO or decision-making technologies. Like a 21st century HOA, essentially, you know, that kind of being all digital, whether it's currency and, and DAO related, like that seems like very pragmatic almost, you know, for a future. Yeah. And, and the regenerative part of it is really key in our vision too, in terms of we're working with, a, for instance, an organization called Regen Villages, and they're really focused on kind of the operating system of the village. You know, how do you, when you have a, an empty piece of land, how do you understand sort of the ecology of the land and even the um, magnetic mapping even indigenous kind of trails and knowledge can all be put into a machine learning algorithm to kind of optimize, you know, how this village can be integrated with the local ecology to actually be regenerative, to make the soil better, to, you know, have common kind of meeting places and just reflect the sort of culture and purpose of the people who came together to to build it. I want to just talk about your kind of journey as a as a founder, because like you said, you came in and had, didn't even have a LinkedIn, right? So you started mm-hmm. from absolutely like nothing and like trying to navigate this, this world of, you know, starting a, a company and a brand and getting it off the ground. Like, what was that like for you just early on? And I know you guys did a crowdfunding campaign a few years ago, I think at this point, I guess just walk through that process of, of being a, a founder and, and building this really from from nothing, right? Not having like a network, not having any type of idea how to do this. Like any like tips or advice you would give to first time founders that were might be in a similar position? It's hard to give advice because it's really different for, for sure. everybody. And 
for me, I was I was just really thinking I'm going to do something in this life that is like as impactful as not even, you know, I think a lot of times companies either optimize for like, you know, profit or they optimize for impact. And I think we're not optimizing for either of those. We're really optimizing for stewarding a vision mm-hmm. where it's like we believe that these ceramic geodesic domes and regenerative villages is like a true vision. At some point, it's inevitable this is happening. And so when you are onto something like that, you're really just how do we steward and make this vision, you know, catalyze this vision, make it happen faster. And so I definitely, we definitely came into it with like, um, just really strong conviction that this is, this is the path and we are never going to stop no matter what, (laughs) right? Just like, it's, it's your life's work, right? I mean, that's kind of the difference when somebody, people usually start companies to exit. You start companies to merge, you start companies to make money. And sometimes you start companies just because it's going to be your life's work and you're going to have, you know, there's a long time horizon to do this. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you're gonna, I mean, you're going to be building this vision, right? Until, well, shoot, I don't know, by the time 2036, you never know. You might might live as something different. I don't know, who knows? But <laughs> it seems like it's your life's work and that just, that's, there's so much difference there. Yeah, and and I think a lot of, Founders will, you know, like uh, start smaller companies as like stepping stones to something as kind of courageous as what GeoShip is. And, you know, that that's a great path to, in hindsight, maybe wish I would have done that a little bit more, <laughs> but I just kind of delved in head first to a, a big project and uh, kind of learned along the way. I want to talk about like where we are now in sort of the process are they being made for for the public? Are we still sort of in like this beta stage where we're talking from the factory now? You said these things are being made already. I guess where are we at sort of in the timeline right now of of GeoShip? Yeah, so we're in uh, Nevada City, California. It's kind of in between Sacramento and uh, Reno in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Nice. And where we are in the timeline is that we just completed the first like functional uh, prototype. Right. So that's what this is. And we're yes. raising another round of capital now to basically start like pilot production. It's really a seed round. I would say what we raised previously was like pre-seed to finish yep. the sort of deep R&D. And from here, um, next year, we'll raise a bigger round of capital to build the first like uh, like 150 to 200,000 square foot manufacturing facility and start volume production. So volume production, pilot production is like a dome or two or three a month kind of level. And that just is to develop the manufacturing technology more. And a first volume production will be like 10,000 domes a year kind of level. This is really an exciting aspect of of this technology is that, you know, to give you a little idea of scale, it's like last year in in the world, there were 2.2 trillion uh, concrete blocks manufactured. And that was basically using the same patents that came out in like 1899 for how to make, you know, yeah. hollow concrete blocks. And each of those blocks is about one cubic foot and around 30 pounds, not too different from like these ceramic components. Yeah. And if we've made 2.2 trillion ceramic components in a year, that's like two years of that is a dome for every human being on earth in like two years. Wow. Right. So I, I really think today is today affordable housing is a challenge uh, at some point in the future. I don't know whether it's 10, 20, 30 years away. Affordable housing won't be a challenge. So it'll just be our technology will be so advanced. We'll mm-hmm. make homes so rapidly that everybody will have a home, a natural home. What do you think that, look, I mean, when plasma TVs first come out, they're so expensive, right? And 
even like Teslas have gone down in, in cost just because, you know, scale allows that, but it takes a long time. Like, what do you think pricing? I know it's so hard to tell because it's so early on, but is there like a pricing model over time that you think is attainable as far as like in the first 10 years, it might cost this, but you know, after you reach that 10 to 30 year span, it, the cost will go down exponentially. Like what what's, what pricing are, are we talking about here, you think? Yeah. Um, so when you talk about pricing per square foot for homes, it's like there's huge variation right. based on the location and the finishing and all that stuff. But if we're talking really generalized, we're, we'd be, we'll be at about 200 to $250 a square foot, like right out, right out of the gate, you know, the first village. Um, yep. And where that from there, I think in the kind of 10 year time horizon, we can get the turnkey cost down to like $75 a square foot in the US, right? And in wow. other countries, of course, that'll be even lower. Our ultimate goal is really to be able to provide homes that are 2.5x median income everywhere. Wow. Has there been like conversations? I guess right now it's it's so early, but even if you if you talk to like government officials or just like people within government, right? And I'm always looking at ways where we have this private and public like partnership, right? Like Tesla grew a lot because it had subsidies so early on. And a lot of innovations have this, right? Has there been any conversations around like, hey, how do we subsidize affordable housing or how do we subsidize new way of building houses? Just like there's new ways of of doing cars now, right? And, and so many other things. Has there been any conversations like that? Do you think there'll ever be conversations of of something like that happening? Definitely. Yeah. I think right now with the um, Inflation Reduction Act, there's like the amount of money uh, out there for to support affordable housing and carbon reduction. Those mm-hmm. two things is like 10 times as much as there was when Tesla got, you know, $400 million loan to build the first factory. Um, So definitely we're uh, in the process now of uh, a lot of government grants as well as potentially um, DOE loans to build the first factory. And I think also the villages themselves will be be able to be subsidized in different ways. And and just to add on to that too, you know, one of the first people we really reached out to in the development of Geoship with was the founder and CEO of Zappos, who's has passed now, yeah. but uh, yeah. Tony Shea. Yeah. We went down to Zappos and uh, met with him and stayed at his, you know, he was living in a, a tiny home village in yeah. downtown Las Vegas. <laughs> and his challenge to us, it was really interesting. He's like, okay, guys, this technology is so amazing. Show me how to create a for-profit business model that can transcend homelessness across America, right? While earning money, right? right? So, because for-profit is basically a scalable business model. It doesn't take money from outside to be dumped into it, but it's scalable. So we put together a plan with, um, with we pulled together some partners like the Buckminster Fuller Institute and Pacific Domes and a City Repair, this organization in Portland that had built villages, you know, houseless villages or homeless villages. And essentially the, the model is like, for every dome or two or three that we sell at regular price, we're able to like basically donate one to a uh, transitional village. And the transitional villages are designed in a way that is the people come together, just like how we talked about the how villages will be designed. Same with the houseless village, the people come together and kind of participate in in managing it themselves. Yeah, and so that people start to kind of see themselves as part of a big picture again that includes them. And ideally, our most beautiful way to kind of enter the market is to actually not have to start at the high end and then scale to the bottom. 
but like yeah. start it at serve the highest end and the lowest end at the same time and then scale to serve the middle. That may still really hoping that's possible, but it's going to take some uh, collaboration with big tech companies and governments and whatnot to, to launch that kind of effort. Because it, it can be, it kind of goes back to the to Lego analogy, right? You can have a, you can build like a little small Lego home, but then you can also like connect so many other Legos and build an office suite, right? An office area if you wanted, right? There's, there's ways to kind of add on this to the geo ship, right? You can kind of connect, you know, a smaller, you know, geo ship dome to a bigger one and kind of expand on the idea a little bit. Yeah, totally. And really the, the dome is um, sort of the, the most fundamental shape, you know, it's like a triangulated sphere, Yeah. but that technology we're developing is really for kind of tessellated building structures. It could be other shapes besides the dome, uh -huh. non-rectilinear other non-rectilinear shapes besides the dome. There's been like a big tiny home movement. And there's sort of been uh, container ship homes, right? Sort of using excess container homes and things like that to, you know, to, you could stack them, right? You can have one or you can have seven that, that all sort of connect to each other. I guess you saw maybe what like Iconic's doing with like 3D printed homes and things like this. Do you like talk to people in other sectors about what you're doing or is it, is it kind of like, hey, we have to, now that we're sort of growing and scaling, we kind of have to keep everything under wraps. Is, is there potential collaboration with, you know, like other people in the space trying to build housing differently, right? Like you said, we've been doing it the same for a hundred years now, but now we see technology, whether it's 3D printing um, or whether it's with, with you guys are doing, I guess, what is sort of the, the conversations like perhaps with other people in the industry? You know, I think that's a, a common, a common um, perception is that like the future of housing is 3D printing. Mm -hmm. And if you look at like what they're 3D printing now, it's basically a wall system where a conventional roof is placed on top. And how how they how to build housing developments with three D printers? You've got like you've got to have flat land and big tracks and whatnot, and that mm. it's kind of a tool for for construction companies and developers. Whereas this technology, when it's just like a set of components that arrive in a shipping container, there's very little um, construction on site. You're not cutting things. You're not using heavy uh, equipment, so it can be built in uh, a lot of more difficult locations, and that people that builder can really earn kind of sweat equity in the process. And also I think, you know, at this stage of the development, like part of being a startup is like, you just got to be super laser focused on minimum viable product in market uh, so that you have some revenue streams and then think more around these uh, bigger collaborations with other companies. But for sure, this technology um, fits really well with 3D printing. We're kind of doing half of 3D printing in right. some ways because you've You've got to have, you know, material blending in a continuous, you have to have a continuous output of like this ceramic material. And then that goes into either a print head or in our case, it's just going into a, a head that's dispensing into a mold, but it's very, we're also have on-site yeah. 3D printing applications. You guys are doing another, doing another crowdfunding round on this time on Republic. What are some of the, like, what's the, what's this round going to do? Like what stage are we at where? The capital from from this raise is going to go into building out prototypes. Is that is that kind of what is needed at, at this point in time? You know, getting salespeople involved where they can go out and get this get this out to a broader audience in, in their region. Yeah, the sales have been um, like no problem, right? We've yeah. got like <laughs> a yeah, yeah. fifty million dollar sales pipeline <laughs> of paid deposits for like no marketing, 
right? <laughs> uh, so sales haven't been a problem. And I think um, what, we're, what we really do with the proceeds from this round is iterating on the prototype to kind of have a production ready, fully engineered, certified product, and then start pilot production where you're just developing the manufacturing technology while you're producing, you know, a dome or two or three a month kind of thing. I want to kind of end on, you know, we talked a lot about the mission, right? And the vision and, you know, what you kind of, you know, thought about early on and, and what's gone up to this point, right? I mean, it's pretty amazing, my man. But like, when you look at the next five years or so, what are some of the goals and successes that you would like to achieve? Yeah, in the next five years uh, is an autonomous factory that is producing, you know, around 10,000 homes a, a year. And also um, the first village will be complete by then uh, here, probably here in Nevada City. In the village, you know, usually somewhere between 200 and 600, maybe even a thousand homes. So village, we're wow. really thinking like how to bring a certain level, like third, third places, you know, uh, meeting places and uh, yeah. business at kind of a town yeah, in some sure. levels. And, and then also to have in five years, like hundreds of those built out in the digital realm, right? So you've got communities that are have formed DAOs, have stepped into a digital space to design their village and are starting down the road of like funding it. And network state, essentially, right? Like this. Yeah, exactly. You know, that the network state is kind of the ultimate end game in a sense, like you get diplomatic recognition from other countries and you're actually a, a country. <laughs> yeah. I think these villages will want to connect, you know, and it could totally be that that's the ult ultimate play, right? It's like the, sovereignty all over the world. Then you can kind of, you know, have this digital HOA around the world <laughs> of these little Right. It kind of turns like um, country making, you know, brings competition to country making. If people are sort of opening up the, uh, the barriers to exit, which is, you know, the barrier to exit thing is really foundational, I think, to why I, why geoship is because I exited, you know, it's like I exited society to it the greatest extent that I could, but <laughs> there was nothing to opt back into. You know, it's like once you exit, you need, you need to be able to bring people together to build the alternative that you're exiting, you're re-entering into. And that's really what GeoShip is about, I think, is giving people the, the tools to create new systems that they can exit the old and opt into. It's so not that a we can really community, right? There's not, there's not a way to quite do that. Yeah. No, no. Like the eco... But also be still humanity, right? Still have that, that humanity aspect to it without just being solo, right? That's kind of always been the... When you think of living off grid, you think of like just a person or two, right? But with sort of mm -hmm. technology and, and sort of cloud, cloud villages, right? It's yeah, it's with satellite internet and yeah. and transportation advances and uh, you know the whole kind of AI world that's coming up and having to kind of reskill. Uh, everybody needs to reskill in a lot of ways. And I think when you uh, are planning a village together, you can also kind of plan uh, an enterprise of some sort, some way yeah. to be working together on a common purpose so that you, that really brings so much kind of juice and energy to the, to the community as well. And I think ultimately the way we'll gauge our success with GeoShip is the quality of the relationships that people have with the ecology around them, with the, their community that they're part of. And it's like, it's about building thriving communities. 
Amazing, my man. Well, thank, thank you so much, Morgan, for taking the time. I mean, what you've accomplished so far, what you and the team has accomplished so far is uh, is really building on the vision. You know, it's, it's, you know, a vision is having one thing, you know, but executing on that is, is so hard and it, it just takes so long. It takes so much perseverance and, and confidence and luck, you know, just the, just the ability to like keep going right day to day brick by brick or not even brick by brick. What do we, what do we call these little things here? What, what can we call these little? <laughs> uh, trying triangle by triangle. Triangle <laughs> by triangle. There we go. <laughs> I just love what you guys were doing from the start. I, mean, I can't wait to eventually have one of these bad boys. So best of luck to you and the team for the decades to come. Thanks for taking the time. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Grant. 